Welcome to the podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Area Church at First Parish in Sherborne. No matter who you are, who you love, we welcome you into our community of religious seekers. Please join us for our Sunday worship services at 10.30 a.m. More information can be found on our website at uuac.org or visit our Facebook page at Sherborne Unitarian Universalist. Our reading today is from the poet Antonio Machado, and it's entitled, Is My Soul Asleep? Is my soul asleep? Have those beehives that work in the night stopped? And the water wheel of thought, is it going around now? Cups empty, carrying only shadows? No, my soul is not asleep. It is awake wide awake. It neither sleeps nor dreams, but watches, its eyes wide open, far off things, and listens at the shores of the great silence. So here we are, the second Sunday in October, with the monthly theme being presence. I'm remembering that uh, when the themes were initially being discussed, the word embodied was also included. And so I think, that, I think the sense was that each word gave a little something that the other one didn't to the vibe, you know, before it was sort of narrowed to presence. So if you indulge me, I'm going to go with both of those today. Because I think that there's a relationship between these two. I really love these words. I love them individually and together. Because I think that embodiment and presence, they realize one another. It's, it's, it's a bit of a cycle where each furthers and deepens the other. And I'll give you a quick example of what I mean. Before entering the time of prayer and meditation, just as we did today and as we have done now, we take a moment to place our feet on the floor, take a few deep breaths, in an effort to ground ourselves so that we can be more present for the prayers of loved ones, the world, and our joys. We drop down into ourselves, embodied, so that we can be more present to what truly matters. But I suppose the next natural question, if you're anything like me, is how, how does this happen? How, how do I need to be reminded? How is it that when someone says, oh, put, put your feet on the floor, it's only then I realize that my legs have been crossed for so long that one of them is asleep. Or when I look at pictures of myself, I'll think, do I always lean to the side like that? I was convinced I was standing straight. But so how is this? How does this happen? So Jeff Brown, in his lovely write-up of this month's theme, included a quote by Dan Millman, which states, the mind is like a phantom that lives only in the past or the future. Its only power over you is to draw your attention out of the present. This is a great quote, and there's a lot there. We, we could spend many sermons talking about that, that whole quote. But for right now, I want to focus on his assertion that the mind draws a person from their present. Because I, I hear in this quote, this part of the quote, 
as saying that the mind, by its nature, draws a person up out of their body, creating a sort of dual existence, a neck-up existence, very, very mind-centric, and a neck-down existence, very body-centric. And I'm using the words body and present interchangeably here as a result of this sort of bifurcated existence, this reality, we'll say, this either neck-up way of living or neck-down way of living. Because it sometimes feels like that, right, that our, our bodies are just a vehicle that sort of takes us from meeting to meeting or errand to errand. Because I actually think about this a lot, this, this neck-up and neck-down orientation. And that's for a lot of reasons, but certainly one of those is my previous job. It was the day before my 26th birthday when I was hired to play a blue man in the show, Blue Man Group. I did warn you two weeks ago that, that I was going to talk about this a lot. And so you may not have believed me, but when you do something almost the entirety of your adult life, it, it has a way of leaving an impression. So for those of you who haven't seen the show, the blue men do not speak, and the blue makeup acts as a sort of neutral mask, which is to say that the character doesn't use their face to tell the story that would otherwise be told with words. It's not, there's not a, a lot of emoting. So now, it's, told, it's a physical story, told physically and through music, essentially the neck down. Now, just because, just, just like any story, specificity is paramount. So with a physical story, every move either helps to tell that story or muddies it. So I'll give you an example, and it's, it's the Twinkie Waggle. Now, again, if you haven't seen the show, there was a part where we brought a guest on stage to have a meal with us, and that, that meal consisted of Twinkies. So, so here we are, you, you, you have the guest seated here at this end, one blue man here, one second blue man, and then the third blue man. Now, the character had never encountered Twinkies before and didn't know how to get them out of the package or if that was even, even an option. But fortunately, the guest would open their Twinkie, getting the attention of, of the closest blue man, who would then, great, you open mine. Um, and now comes the part for the Twinkie Waggle. And I, and I should say that I was once part of a three-hour workshop just on this one move. So just bear that in mind as we're talking about it. Because the, the blue man now has the, the, the open Twinkie and, and wants to share this revelation with the other blue men. So the question becomes in the physical storytelling, where do you put the Twinkie to get their attention? Do, do you put it up here? Or do, you, or do you put it down here? How much into their field of vision do you put it? Uh, up here or down here? Any thoughts? Any guesses? Go on. Yes. Lo low or high? You think high? Great. Anyone, anyone for low? Anyone voting for low? Yes. Okay, we have some takers for low. Okay. We discovered that because, of course, part of this is that the audience is writing their own story. That's sort of the idea, right? But when you put something up high, it feeds into that story of, ha-ha, mind's open, right? It's a little bit too close. Whereas if you go lower, it's a bit more innocuous. 
there's this thing, I, I don't know what it is. Hey, 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 do you see this? So there's something about that, right? What, what's the, what are the implications relationally between those two differences? But now, through all this, three-hour workshop aside, I don't want to linger too long with this, but you have to imagine in real time, because I don't want to neglect this relationship, this growing relationship. I mean, they did, after all, know how to open Twinkies. That's, that's not someone to be, to be ignored. So I'm holding all the while, you have, sensing this person, this relationship, this relationship, and this relationship, all from the neck down. Because that's where the data that I needed came from to tell the story. Because over time I learned that the body is the repository of emotion, and that's what connects us. So therefore that's the only data that mattered. And as it turns out, we get emotional data back much faster because it's already there. It's already in the viscera. I don't need to think about, is this happening? Is it, is it? Right, the three-hour workshop is when you think about this and this, not in the moment. If I were to think, is this right? Do they, are they still with me? Are these people still with me? All of that, we've now moved beyond that because the answer is already there. Because if we think about it, Whenever strong emotion comes over us, our bodies are probably telling us before we figured it out, right? So in this moment, we were getting all the information we needed. So for example, I, when stressed or frustrated, get really thirsty. Now I'd started to figure this out about myself, but the point was driven home a few years ago when my younger child said to me on one of these particular occasions, and I was really, pounding a lot of water. So, so, so I must have been very frustrated. And this, and this is what she says from the other room. You know, I can always tell when you're frustrated because you drink a lot of water. <laughs> so just, that was a nugget of truth. I wasn't quite ready for, but. So while you may not get thirsty, something happens, right? We cross our arms. We purse our lips, we sweat, we exhale loudly, our legs get antsy, the list goes on and on. But the data of our emotional life is always there waiting to bring balance to what's going on from the neck up. Because it's not that we don't use our minds, right? Of course we do. I absolutely used my mind when I was doing the show, but I guess it's a question rather of, of when and how much. Because it's my sense that the mind gets called on way too much, to do way too many jobs. It's like, it's like we see the mind like one of those universal tools, you know, that has like a screwdriver and a knife, a bottle opener, sandpaper, you get the point. But eventually, even that universal tool has its limits. So my point in telling you all of this, of sharing this, antidote from my days as a blue man, is that night to night, I was given the opportunity to practice living from the neck down, tasked with inhabiting the world of emotion and trying to connect. Let me say that again. Inhabiting the world of emotion and trying to connect. And that sounds a lot like what we're trying to do here leaning into our vulnerabilities as much as we can stand, 
as we endeavor to unify these two halves of ourselves. I mean, isn't this the point of the spiritual life? Isn't that what's being asked of us? Isn't this what our faith is asking of us? Unification, to come at this life with our whole selves? Because I think if we're to meet the iniquities of the day, we're gonna need to do it from a unified place. Because right here, within these walls, we as a community have two initiatives, the Eighth Principle and the Land Acknowledgement Task Force, which Doug told us about today. And these two initiatives, they're gonna require both neck up and neck down living, but I think mostly neck down. Because even for those that are already heart-souled on this work, it's not easy. Experience tells me that we cannot read or think our way to equality alone. To be sure, it's important, it's crucial. I mean, as Doug shared, the learning that he can, I, I actually sat back here and when he talked about that that person then was ordained here, oh, wow, I mean, that's crucial information. But we must be cautious in our efforts to learn more and to do more that we don't inadvertently leave our bodies behind. And so we make a start. The Land Acknowledgement Task Force is one start. And the other is that we become curious about what's going on in our bodies when thinking about the Eighth Principle or the Land Acknowledgement Task Force. What's happening for me? Do I feel ready for this? Do I welcome this? Or is it making me feel squirrely? Which is a technical term, squirrely. Because I think we need to be curious about what's going on from the neck down. So over the next few weeks, when realizing that strong emotion is afoot, try to follow the breadcrumbs all the way down and find out what you can discover. Because this being embodied, this being present to ourselves and to one another, it's, it's remarkable and it's no small thing. But that's what we're about. We aspire to hold all this all the joy and the pain that brings about a more present life. And incidentally, I, I, I have begun to think it's humorous when I find myself ridiculously thirsty. But, but I wanna say this, as you discover these things about yourself, these, these gems, don't hoard them. Share them with this community because in relationship, we are realized. Amen, and may it be so.